Hey, if you're new, welcome. Uh, my name is Charlie. I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad that you're with us, and we are in the middle of a series uh, looking kind of at this faith journey of a guy named Abraham. And if you've been confused over the last couple of weeks, all right. Like for the first several chapters, it refers to him as Abram, and then you come, you're going to come back next week, and all of a sudden he's going to be Abraham. You may, what's up with that? Well, in Genesis chapter 17, which is kind of the chapter before what we're talking about, between what we're talking about this week and next week. God reaffirms his covenant with Abram and kind of gives him this new name. Abram, which kind of meant exalted father, and Abraham, which means father of many. So he's just kind of reaffirming this covenant with him and gives him a new name. And it's actually a pretty common thing in the Old Testament. Jesus does it actually in the New Testament too, where God, um, to affirm some promise or to exalt some characteristic that they see to kind of give give a new name to him. So that's what happens here, so that's why we kind of have this Abram-Abraham deal. Well, we've been kind of following his faith journey. It's a real interesting story. It kind of starts off two weeks ago for us in Genesis chapter 12, where Abram, man, he was just this dude. And um, God is trying looking around, trying to figure out, man, what am I going to do to kind of bring the world to me, to make sure that everyone worships me? And he's like, man, I'm going to I'm going to raise up a nation that's mine, and through this nation, everyone will see what it's like when the, when the real God of the universe, their, their blessing is on them. So we'll, we'll do, I'll do that. I'm going to raise up this, this, I'm going to have a tribe, and they're going to be mine. And so he picks this guy, Abram, and he says something relatively kind of preposterous to him. He's like, hey, listen, um, I want you to leave uh, your, your homeland. I want you to go away from your, your father and his family. And I want you to go to this place that I'm just going to show you. And I'm going to make this covenant with you. You follow me. I'm going to make you into this great nation. And he's a relatively older guy by now and doesn't have uh, any kids. And so there's a lot of preposterous things from Abram's perspective about this. That, and why would I leave the only, my, my family, why would I leave this pl- the only place that I know to go someplace that I, I don't know where it is? I can't tell you anything about it. You won't even tell me exa- exactly what it is. And and you're going to make me in this great nation? I don't even have any kids. But, but Abram responded and said, yes. And, and he believed God and is now on this incredible faith journey where God says, hey, I'm going to bless you and through you everyone's going to be blessed. And we are on, I mean, obviously God is not calling us to, to, to found a, a, new, a new nation, uh, to start a new religion or anything like that. Um, but we're all on a, a faith journey of our own where God is asking us to kind of leave what is comfortable, what is normal, what is natural, and instead to, to trust and follow Him and, and to live a life of faith, leaving what we, what we think we want and, and, and what is normal, what is comfortable, and to follow Him. And God makes similar promises to us. God always God wants to bless His people. God blesses people who follow Him through faith. And every time God blesses, He does it for the same reason that He blessed Abram. I'm going to bless you so that everyone can be blessed. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to follow Him by faith. He wants to bless you. And He wants to use the blessing that He puts in your life to bless everyone around you. And so we're on that kind of faith journey. And you know, some of us may just be at the beginning of it. Some of us wandering on that path. Some of us may be still sitting with that first, first call where God is calling you to step out in faith and to trust Him and to follow Him. And you're still trying to make that decision. Well, Abram makes that decision and he chooses to follow God. And what we saw last week, we'll see for the next couple of weeks, there's kind of, the, I think, ultimately three really significant obstacles 
or, or challenges that Abram has in his journey along the way. And the, the one we looked at last week when Mark was teaching was just kind of the normal obstacles and trials that life brings. He, he probably had it in his head, and most of us do as well, that if, if I follow God and do all the right things, God's going to make everything work out great. And, and Abram learned very quickly that wasn't the case. I mean, he, he goes and follows God, and next thing you know, there's a famine in the land. But rather than choosing in the midst of an obstacle to continue to trust and follow God, he comes up with his own plan. He said, well, we'll just go to Egypt. God never told him to go to Egypt. God told him to be here. So that wasn't a good idea. And he gets to Egypt, and he's worried that they're going to kill him and, and steal his wife. And so he lies and says, it's not my wife, it's my sister. And that goes bad. And we see him in the normal, in, in kind of living out just kind of the, the everyday trials that life can bring. He chooses to follow his own ideas rather than to trust God. And so we have to get over this idea that somehow that a life of faith of following God is going to be obstacle-free. That's not true. But when they happen, we need to be people who are trusting and following God. So that's the first thing. And the second thing we'll, 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 we'll see today in um, Genesis chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Now hold on a second. Now you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a literary major to know that this is about to be a bad story. Right, this is, just, this is just dumb. This is just dumb and bad in every way that you can imagine. Can you, can you just, I mean, just think about it for a second? I mean, she's like, well, you know, I mean, I don't have any kids. I think God wants us to have kids, but we don't, we don't have any. I, I, I got an idea. I, I got this maiden. She kind of she takes care of me. Why don't you have sex with her and she'll have a kid and we'll call that our kid? What do you think about that, Abram? You're like, oh... Man, it's just not it's just not gonna be good. I mean I mean he has he has a choice in this moment, doesn't he? He has a choice in his moment to trust God. He has a choice in this moment to honor his wife or to go along with what is very clearly a bad idea. And so again, you know, we don't really have to keep reading. We will, because I mean there's about fifty different ways this could go horribly wrong. We'll see how many of the fifty uh get described here. Verse three. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated her, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, 
Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So, I mean, it was clearly a bad idea. It was a bad idea when when Sarah had it, and it was a a worse idea when Abram agreed to it. And and again, it it, it goes bad in all the ways that you think that it would. So he he goes and has sex with this this slave, which is a terrible idea in in, in the first place. What what are we doing with slaves in the first place? There's just so much to not like about this story, and there's so much about what's going on here. It's like, this is terrible. And then she gets pregnant, and then she starts to resent Hagar starts to resent Sarah. Like, yeah, of course she does. But she's a human. She's a person. She didn't want this. She didn't ask for this. She didn't get any choice in this matter. This just happens to her. And now I'm pregnant with this dude's kid that you're going to want to say is your kid. And I'm just, she's just mad. And so then Sarah, and I was like, what, what are you mad at me for? This is not right. And then she goes to Abram. It's like, Abram, she goes to Abram, look what you did. Who, who saw that coming? Look what you did to me. This is on you. And he's like, this was your idea. Can you imagine? That's probably what he said back to her. This was your idea. And how do you think that went? This was just bad. And so then, in another moment of overwhelming courage from Abraham, he looks at her like, ah, you just do whatever. whatever. You just do whatever you want to do. Right? So two moments of just overwhelming cowardice on his part. She comes to him the first time and says, you should, you should sleep with her. He's like, no, actually, I love you, and, and, and you're my wife, and, and I just want to be with you, and God said he would take care of this. We don't, we don't have to do this. And now she's mad because it goes bad in, in the ways that it could have easily been predicted. And rather than saying, hey, you know, we, we did this to her, we need, to, we need to love her, and, and I'm sorry that we ended up here. He just goes, what? Which, whatever you think. So she starts abusing this, 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 this poor woman. And so she runs away, but God finds her. And, you know, and, 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 and the, the angel of the Lord kind of blesses her, encourages her to go back, and says that he's going to bless Ishmael. He's going he's to increase his descendants so much it'll be too numerous to count. And then... But then also kind of gives a kind of a little twist to it. Says he, but he's going to be wild, and, and he's not going to like anybody, and they're not going to like him. And so, and so when we see all throughout Genesis, we see this playing out. We actually see it for generations to come. Really, this kind of this hostility. And so what? what I mean, uh, other than just having a really bad idea, what what went wrong here for Abram and Sarah? What 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 was the problem? And I, and I think we'll just say it this way: is that that Abram and Sarah. I, were impatient waiting for God's blessing. They were just impatient. They were impatient with waiting. God, God, had, a, God had a plan. He was going to bless them. And he was going to bless them. He's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to have these descendants and you're going to be this great nation. This is what I'm going to do. And then, and then 10 years have gone by now and nothing has happened. And they were already way too old. They were, they were too old 10 years ago to have kids. And now 10 years have passed. I think maybe God's going to do some miracle. But after 10 years, um, maybe this isn't going to happen. 
And it's not that they don't necessarily believe. friends jumping off a cliff, right? Hey, just because a lot of people are doing it doesn't make it a good idea. And in fact, it's the, it's the exact opposite of, of what God said He was wanting to do in, in Abram and Sarah's life. I don't want you to be like all of them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take you, I'm going to set you apart. And if you live according to my principles and what I want to do and, and what, I, what I'm saying where life is, you're going to shine. But instead, he chooses in a moment to do something that seems right because everyone around them is doing it. It's kind of culturally accepted. And he chooses in that moment to be impatient with God and again loses his real trust and faith in God. And so rather than continuing to be patient, rather than continuing to trust in God, they come up with their own plan. And again, in, in, in retrospect... I'm sure it did not take Abram very long to realize it was a dumb plan. And we can look at it and see that it's a dumb plan. And, and, and what I, what I want to say uh, to you is this, is that your plans are just as dumb. Can I say that? Is that okay? Can, can I say that and we still be friends? We just were friends. We still be cool, right? The things that we come up with, they're just as dumb. God says he wants to bless you. God says he wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to do something amazing through your life. He wants to forgive your sins. You have this relationship with God through Jesus. And you'll follow him. And he says he wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. We may not have quite as specifics on what blessing and prospering looks like like Abraham did. But we know that God's, I want, God's hand and his favor is going to be on my life. And he wants to use that favor to bless the world. I can know that for sure. But somehow, sometimes it just doesn't play out the way that I think that it should. And it just doesn't seem to be going the way that I believe that it should. And then we get impatient. And then we come up with really, really dumb plans. You, you hear people say this sometimes. Don't you think God wants me to be happy? And, and, and if somebody starts a sentence or an idea, conversation... With that phrase again, don't you think God wants me to be happy? You know what's coming next. Idiocy. That is only a preamble to a really, really bad idea. I think, you know, I think God wants me to be happy. And that is why I have chosen to be unfaithful to my spouse. If you, if you, if you only knew, if you only knew, if you only knew how he treated me. If he only knew how long it's been since she had sex with me. And, and, and God wants me to be happy. God wants to, God wants to prosper me. I know that. And so I have to, if I have to cut corners and do some things that are 
are ethically a little ambiguous in order to do that. I'm, I'm going to take the money, I'm going to give some of it away. So I'm not being completely ethical. It's common. This is kind of way. This is the way our business works. This is this kind of this is kind of our industry. It just kind of works like this. It's common practice. I know that God wants me to get married. He wants me to have a family. And then you become so desperate to date someone, you'll date anyone. You become so desperate to marry someone, you marry anyone. You begin to, you have this this pain and unease in your heart, and so you begin to medicate it. With a, with a series of really bad habits. And, it's, and it starts with this idea of, I think God, God wants me to be happy. He wants to prosper me. He wants to bless me. And currently, right now, I'm not feeling it. And so I come up with a really, really dumb plan. And obviously, I would like to suggest that there's a huge gap between God wants me to be happy and God's desire to bless and prosper you. But even if I just accept the premise and will change bless and prosper to happy, you have to know that that happy is not found living a life outside of the boundaries that God has called us to. That's where misery is found. That's where destruction is found. And what God wants to do is that God does, God, God does want to, to, to bless you. God, God, God does want to prosper you. But it's going to be inside what, what He's called you to. It's not going to be stepping outside of the boundaries. It's not going to be found in that affair. It's not going to be found in cheating the rules. It's not going to be found in selfishness and greed. It's not going to be found in, 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 in dating or marrying someone that you know is outside of who God would want you to have. But we grow impatient. And I remember this in my life. I was 28, and I was finishing up working for this college ministry, and um, I felt like God wanted me to be a pastor. And I've, I've told the story in varying versions before. And I, I was working part-time at the church I was attending, and, and it was going really well. I was kind of overseeing the small groups. It was going well, and they were looking for somebody full-time. I'm like, man, I'm doing it part-time. It's going really well. I'm right here, and I applied for it, and they wouldn't even interview me because I was too young, and I didn't have a seminary degree, and it, and it devastated me, and it, and it made me begin to feel like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about this thing that God wants for me, and I began to get, to get overwhelmed, and I was, I, was, I was devastated, and I needed somebody or something to tell me that I was, I was good enough. And this guy that was a friend of mine who had also worked for this college ministry but had, but had become a pastor was moving to St. Louis to become, to become a pastor. He's going to start a brand new church. And, and he comes to me and he says, Hey, I'm going to plant this church in St. Louis. I think you'd be a great small groups pastor. You should come with me and do that. And I'm like, That's, that's a great idea. And it's going to be their face because we're going to be awesome and we're going to show them how church is going to be. Oh, you're right. I am good, and you're good, and we're going to be great. And the guy that I worked for in the college ministry who discipled me in college, who also happened to disciple this guy when he was in college, he takes me out to dinner and says, this is a really bad idea. This is a bad idea. I like, I like him, and I like you, but I don't, this, this is not going to work. And here's all the ways it's going to go bad. All right. What do you know? 
I mean, you're just, you're just trying to keep me here with your thing, and I, I, there's no way you don't even know what you're talking about. Thanks very much, right? <laughs> so then I go to seminary, uh, and I finish up s- school there, and I'm telling some of the professors kind of what my plan is. And this one guy, he takes, <laughs> he takes me out for, for, for coffee, and, and we're talking about it. He's like, you know that's a bad idea, right? It's like, you've got the, this skill set, and what you're describing right now, this is not a good fit for you. You shouldn't do it. And I'm like, man, pfft, what do these ivory tower professors know about anything? <laughs> He's sitting around here, just sitting around in offices. You're not out there doing ministry. You don't even know. You and your little smart doctor whatevers. And, and so I went, and it went bad in all the ways that everyone had said. Because I knew what God wanted for me, and, 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 and I'll just do this. It seemed quick. It seemed easy. And despite all the warning signs around me, this is a bad idea. People that knew me well, that I dismissed because you were, it was too personal, people who didn't really know me at all, who just looked at it objectively, you don't even know me, right? So I can dismiss you both. And I just make a bad idea. And the reality of it is this, man, our, our plans are really dumb. And when we circumvent God, it has long-term consequences. Man, it, just, it, just, it just does. I mean, you look at the life of, of Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't just a nine-month problem that they had. I'm sure those nine months were some of the worst nine months of their lives. I'm sure they're, I, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine that their marriage was ever the same. Once he went into this tent and had sex with this woman and came out of that tent, I can't imagine that their life was ever the same again. And, 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 and so Sarah's like, well, let's just get rid of her so I don't have to see it. And God's like, it doesn't, doesn't work like that, actually. And so for years, 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 this reminder of this decision. And then it says right here, it says right here, and, and, and the person that's going to be born, he's going to be hostile towards all of his brothers. And in, and in fact, Abram's grandson, he's going to do what Abraham did here times two. He's going to get tricked into marrying somebody he didn't mean to marry, which that's a weird story. We can, we can look at Jacob someday. And so he's, instead of just being like, well, okay, I've got my wife now, he's like, I want two wives. There's a bad idea. And now they've got this rivalry in all the ways that you think that they would. And because of this rivalry, both of them at different points say, you should sleep with our handmaids. And now he has four wives, all with different kids, all competing all the time for all sorts of things. And it's awful. And so he's, he's passing down a legacy. It wrecks, it wrecks them. It has generational impact. And in fact, this, this, is gonna, this might sound more political than I mean for it to. I, I hate that everything is political. But the, the founder of Islam, the guy named Muhammad, they, he makes the claim that he is a descendant of Ishmael. Now, whether or not he is or is not is really irrelevant to the point. The point is, is that he viewed himself as taking up this mantle of hostility and, and we have seen this play out. This hostility is a generational thing. And it has gone on and on and on. 
And the same thing with us. These moments where we choose the immediacy of pleasure. When we choose this moment to do what is easy or simple. When we... It has impact. Now here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to scare you. I don't want to scare you too much. Right? I want to scare you just enough. Because the reality of it is, at any point I could have said no and said, man, everybody I'm talking to says this isn't a good idea. I wish you the best. It would save me four years of just soul-crushing life where I ultimately ended up being fired and, and told by the same guy who had given me the affirmation several years before where he says to me, you know what, you're no good at this. You never will be. You should never be a pastor again. You'll never be any good at it. Man, that's, that's had impact on me. I still carry that around a little bit. It's devastating. And most of, the, most of the decisions that we make where we choose to step outside of God's plan and we choose the thing that we say is going to make me happy, we choose our own dumb idea, it has impact. It has impact in my own life, in my own soul, and the people around me. It has impact on my kids. will have impact on their kids. It's serious. And it should be a check. It should be at least one step that we take. It's like, well, I want to be happy, comma, but at least think about it. Before we step outside of the parameters that God has kind of laid out for where life is. These are things, these, the, 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 the rules, the parameters, the laws, these things are not meant to restrict the blessing. It's the path to the blessing. And if we view them as things trying to restrict me, and the only way to experience the blessing is to break out of this, I know God wants blessing, but it's not here. It's got to be here. We, this is, it's, it's the path. This is where the blessing is. And when we step out of that, we open ourselves up to some issues, to some problems. Again, I want to scare you just enough. But this is not the last thing that I want to say. And I never want something like that to be the last thing I say. The last thing I want to say is this. But God, but God redeems. Because the reality of it is there's two groups of people here who really needed to hear this message today. There are some of you that need to get scared straight before you keep making the decision or you make that decision the first time and you need to kind of wake up a little bit. And you, need, you, need to, you need to not do it. But there's also some of you that are on the backside of a really bad decision. There's a, there's a point in your life where you did something where you know you stepped outside of what God wanted for you. You chose something that was quick and simple and easy. And it can sometimes it can feel like that, 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 that now God has put you on the shelf. But what we'll see in Genesis chapter 17, the very next thing, the very next thing that happens with, with, with him is, is God reaffirming his promise to Abraham. He didn't come to Abraham and Sarah and say, like, you blew it, you blew it, you had your chance, you could have done it, you could have done the thing that I asked for to you, but you chose to follow your own path, you're done. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm going to give them this land. I'm going to give them this blessing. It wasn't like that at all. God reaffirms his commitment and his love to Abraham. 
And he, he, he comes directly to Hagar and, 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 gives, and, and shows her compassion and love. And, and, and the blessing that God promised to Abraham, it still came. Now too often, what happens is that we choose to live a life where we believe one of those two things is true. I believe that once I make some make a bad decision, that there are there are there are long term consequences to it, and I allow guilt and shame to overwhelm me, to where I never will again experience the blessing of God. Or we choose to believe, well, you know, God, He's real nice. He forgives stuff, and if I do this a little bit, and it turns out to be a bad idea, He's gonna make it. He'll make He'll make it better. It'll be fine. And so I'll take the risk with my bad idea. And somewhere between these two is believing both of them and saying, hey, before I do something, I need to make sure that this is within what God wants from me. That this is in line with the blessing that He has promised for me. If this is where life is, I need to make sure I'm following that. I need to be serious about this. But I am not going to allow myself to be so overwhelmed with guilt and shame that I, will not, that I forget about Jesus. The Jesus who saw us in the middle of all of our worst decisions and said, i got to do something to help them. And he gave his life so that we could be forgiven and restored into relationship with God. And that heart and that attitude of Jesus does not change no matter where you are and what you've done. So I don't know. I don't know which one of those two groups you might feel like you're a part of. But if you are on the verge of a really bad idea, pray that you will seek wisdom from others and follow that wisdom before we do something that will wreck us. And if you find yourself overwhelmed by guilt and shame, know that the love of God is there and it's forgiveness, repentance, is, it's right, you, repentance, and God will forgive. That's why Jesus came and died for you. Because every, it just seems like this at least true in my life. It seems true for a lot of us. It's the dumbest things that I've ever done that God seems to use the most in the lives of other people. Those four years in St. Louis when a lot of bad things happened externally and internally in my heart, God used it a lot to grow me up. And he's used a lot of it to kind of help me help other people in very similar kinds of situations. And God's always looking to make things, to bring life to dead things. So don't give up hope. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, God is there. So let's just respond to God. We had to do that through worship. The prayer team would love to pray with you if you need prayer. Communion, prayer candles, the cross is available. All ways to respond. But let's pray for ourselves and each other that we, we will avoid uh, the really dumb moves and that we will all experience the healing and forgiveness of Jesus for those of us who have already done it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story. I think you didn't leave it out. 
God, I thank you that, that the worst moments of the best people are found right here. And so, God, I do. I pray that we will be just the right amount of scared. But, God, no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, that we would never surrender to hopelessness. But we would always know that your love and forgiveness are right there. So God, I pray for your protection in our lives that we would not choose the easy path. But God, we would choose to follow you. And God, I pray that each one of us would really experience in a tangible way the healing and forgiveness that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Whether it's for the first time or for the next time. And we love you, God. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.